1: What's going on, everybody? You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here. We're also joined by Nate Antetomaso, our co-founder on this as well. We sat down with Taylor Dahlem, who is the director of growth at a company called Pickle AI, which is actually located out in Utah, but he is working remote here in Louisville, Kentucky. So we wanted to sit down with him and understand, you know, what's it like working for a company remote here in Kentucky, especially Louisville, and the company's pretty special. So the company does what's called conversational intelligence, which means they are analyzing conversations that people are having on the phone, whether it's a salesperson or a customer success rep, and they're extracting insights from these conversations using natural language processing. So they're telling these reps things like the number of times they said certain key phrases, the number of times competitors were brought up, the number of questions asked and what the answers were to those questions, and a whole lot more. Uh, so it's a really interesting company, and they actually went through YC, so Y Combinator, which is one of the most, uh, which is the most famous accelerator in the world. So they're doing amazing things, uh, and it was just a good conversation about artificial intelligence, work from in Kentucky, uh, and some other you know topics uh, that I'll let Logan talk about.
0: Yeah, so during the conversation, we got to cover all sorts of things, Taylor's time at UK, what got him interested into sales in the first place. So he actually started off in non-technical sales and then kind of made his way through, mostly just through coincidence, honestly, towards uh, getting into tech sales, which is, I feel like, the way a lot of people in Kentucky actually find their way into technology and technology sales. I know that's the way I found my way there. That's the way Evan found his way uh, in as well. Um, and then we talk about what that transition was like from him going from non-technical sales into a tech company. Um, we talk a lot about Pickle's product. So uh, because he's dealing in sales, his product is a product that he actually uses on a day-to-day basis and gets a lot of value out of. Uh, and then we also talk about uh, general technology topics. So we're all passionate about technology here in the in this circle, and it was a fun conversation to talk to him about working at a tech company, uh, how it's been working remote, being here in Kentucky, and how he's maintained uh, culture with that company and the, his coworkers workers uh, at Pickle AI. Uh, so this was a fun conversation for us, but before we dive in, we just want to get a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Land Betterman. Land Betterment is doing some incredible work throughout Appalachia and eastern Kentucky as they are taking abandoned strip mines and putting sustainable businesses in their place. These businesses not only provide a useful repurposing of the land, but they also provide great jobs to replace the mining jobs that were lost when the mine was shut down. To learn more about Land Betterment, you can listen to our interview with their founders, Mark Jensen and Kirk Taylor, on episode 97, or visit their website
1: at landbetterment.com. We're also sponsored by Airwing Ventures. Airwing helps determined entrepreneurs seeking resources to grow with capital and connections in order to build successful companies and impactful legacies. They're all about high growth companies, high growth careers, and high growth communities. I've personally known Dan Beldy for about four years now, and I've seen the work he's been doing in the community, and we should all feel very blessed and grateful that a VC like himself is here in Kentucky. I encourage you to connect with Airwing and learn more Let's all grow this state together. You can reach out to Dan at info at airwing.vc or dan at airwing.vc. And their website is www.airwing.vc.
2: Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. My name is Nate Antatamasso here in Chicago. Joined, of course, by the guys down in Lexington of Knowles, Logan Jones. How you guys doing?
0: Oh, we're great, man. We're doing glad to well. be joined by you. Uh guest appearance by Nate. But tell yeah. us why you're joining us today.
2: Yeah. Um I'm joining today because we uh, we're joined by our guest, a personal friend of mine, an old fraternity brother, Taylor Dollum from
0: Pickle. How you doing, man?
3: Doing all right, Nate. Appreciate having me on. Logan, Evan, great to see you guys.
0: Absolutely. Cool. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and dive in here. So, Taylor, mm-hmm. um, first off, just kind of give us your background uh, in terms of where you went to school. I know Nate just said that you guys were fraternity brothers, but talk a little bit about uh, going to UK and then what you did immediately after you left UK.
3: Yeah. As uh, Nate teed it up, went to, went to University of Kentucky Back in uh what 20, 2010, started there and then um, Nate I met you what a couple years in fall of twenty
2: thirteen um, you were my uh, pledge marshal
3: there you go so I've I've uh, I got to see Nate at his early his early days um, which is which is a treat for sure but especially <laughs> in the fraternity world and in in our case we were building a fraternity from scratch it'll drive a lot of the conversation we're about to have today because it kind of gave me that entrepreneurial itch of starting something from nothing or taking a really traditional system like that of an SEC Greek uh, UK in particular and saying I I don't like what's currently offered or we didn't like what was offered let's start something on our own and and that's grown to what it is today and and attracted guys like Nate to to join the cause as well and I think that you might agree that that spurred some of his interest as well yeah Um, really building something from nothing and so after graduating in 2015, went off to uh, work for Theta Chi's international headquarters up in Indianapolis, uh, up in Carmel in particular. But basically, I started as a traveling consultant, went to about 70 different chapters and universities in a year. So all, a lot of driving, a lot of miles, but helping expand to new campuses or working with our active chapters. I was you know, equated to franchises for the for the non-Greek uh, speaker, but essentially helping them with their operations, helping them grow, and then got promoted to director of recruitment and expansion, or what is now director of growth. But um, the goal was pitching to new universities, establishing new groups, helping them, you know, build their operation and, and scale. And so again, a lot of that went back to my my time and, and kind of passion that I found growing at a local level and doing it on a national level, but. I realized nonprofit wasn't uh, wasn't gonna be the, the calling for me uh, long term, so needed to you know go from a director level in nonprofit world to back to the bottom square one at a, in the corporate world or in the for profit world. So cut my teeth on uh, being an outside sales rep for about a year for a Fortune Fortune 500 company, but massive massive scale in terms of. Selling to large manufacturing plants all the way down to auto body shops, um, uniforms, facility services a really a grinder of a role um, (laughs) that, that taught me a ton in terms of an actual sales process, you know, how to follow up, how to cold call, how to how to really overcome objections from, like I said, a small auto body shop owner who deals only in cash to a giant organization where I had to go through 15 different buyers a lot could happen in between there and it, I'm selling an, a not exactly a sexy product but a needed one so how do you overcome that and now here I am and I uh, <laughs> stumbled my way into a startup in tech sales and uh I, the the sky's the limit on it but I'm I'm trying to learn every day uh, consider my background came from very traditional
0: industries of greek
3: system and uh
0: mm-hmm.
3: and facility
0: uniform <laughs> services Real quick, I'd like for you to touch on actually getting into tech sales because you kind of mentioned when your your buddy reached out to you and you're just like, I'll help however I can. That yeah. really resonated with me. And I think that probably resonates with both Nate and Evan as well.
1: So talk about
0: mm-hmm. that transition from, you know, that corporate type of sales to just saying, you know, yeah, I'll help out. Yeah.
3: So interesting story on my end, being up in Indianapolis for five years, my fiance and I, we wanted to move back to Louisville be closer to family and friends, buy a house. Um, And we did that in March of 2020 and Louisville pre-March 2020 is very different from post-March 2020. And that's where, you know, Tom Hanks said he had COVID. They shut the NBA down. All that happened at the same time we were moving back and I had started a new job as more in a tech sales role, but still kind of entry level. And it was my first week on the job when kind of the world was shutting down and, you know, Naturally, as most salespeople went through, especially brand new ones like myself, we ended up getting laid off um, for budget reasons or just unknown uh, heading into the next few months. And so I was kind of at a loss of like, I just started a job. I've never been laid off before. And here I am a week into it uh, trying to figure out the next step. And two days later, one of my best friends from high school, who we fell out of touch. Um, he moved out to Utah and I you know, was obviously an Indian in, in, in Kentucky. We, you know, we stayed we familiar with each other's lives, but really hadn't talked that much. But he called me out of the blue one day, uh, like I said, two days after getting laid off and was just like, hey, I'm starting this, building this startup. I know you got sales experience. He was just purely calling to see if I can connect him to people, you know, decision makers and roles that he could try to sell to or explain what he's doing. I was like, you yeah, know, after, after about a 45 minute discussion and just catching up. I was like, well, you know, this is before I told him I was laid off. I was like, well, if you got (laughs) you need help, let me know. I've got a lot of time on my hands, and so uh, he was like, seriously, I I didn't even consider that to be uh, you know, I wasn't planning to ask that, and so literally that next day, I met with the other one of the other co-founders, Kalmana, who's a CRO now, Um, and we hit it off. And by Monday, I was uh, going to work as a as a startup guy in a very very bootstrapped early stage. Situation, and I just had to crawl, crawl, walk, run, so to speak, and I'm I'm probably still on the crawl.
1: So, what was that transition like uh, going into technology? Because especially here in Kentucky, people might look at that as such a foreign thing, right? They might have some apprehension or or fear of that because it's just not talked about enough here. Uh, What was it Mm -hmm. like just jumping into that space? Because you know, there's a lingo. You know, there's SAS there's all kinds of different like, <laughs> yeah. terms so that much. people hear pretty often, you know, in the news or on the TV or in newspapers or whatever. Uh, what was it like jumping in from not knowing a whole lot to just now you're in the thick of it and going to YC?
3: Yeah, that was, I mean, uh, to be honest, I kind of heard of YC, maybe through Airbnb and like DoorDash and stuff. I, I might have come across it, but yeah, terms like SaaS or you know VC things like that, where it's like I, I did. I will say I'll give myself credit. I watched Silicon Valley on HBO <laughs> a few years ago, so like I picked, up, I, I picked up a lot there. And you know, as irreverent as it is, it is educational. Um, but that's kind of other than that, that. That was my experience. So to your question, yeah, totally foreign world. The moment I got that call from from Birch and. The next day, talking to on and then come Monday, selling this or trying to figure out. All right, how do I, how do I reach out to a company and tell them what I do, and I don't even know what the hell I do. Um. So yeah, a lot of learning, a lot of like SaaS. You know, <laughs> I, I had to pick up on what that meant, and that's who we are. We <laughs> were a software as a service. Uh, for those out there that still don't know what that is, but a lot of things that that just weren't natural and yeah, and and what the way we were raised in Kentucky and the the industries we have here. But to credit, you know, you all as middle tech and and some of the some of the other um I've seen a lot of startups and at least more tech companies popping up in the last, you know, couple years here that I think at least Louisville, Lexington are picking up on it. I I'm sure you all know as well as me. I don't know if the rest of Kentucky will ever do that, but we're, we're working on it in terms of some of the major cities and, and trying to bring in, mm-hmm. you know, some of those some of those startup companies and really enabling those. But I know Indianapolis is is, is picking up on that as well. And that Chicago is obviously huge there, but you know it's starting to work, work its way down here in the conversations that are happening. But I'm in the middle of the 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 boom in uh, Utah and Salt Lake City which is where we're based out of. And essentially it's, they they consider it, they call it Silicon Slopes, quote unquote, <laughs> um, which is, you know, an endearing name if you've ever been out there. But uh, that there's a ton of investment, a ton of tech. It's equivalent to like Austin, Atlanta. Um, so just being thrown into that world where Kalmana, one of the co-founders, has been in, I think, four or five different tech sales roles over the past few years. Ton of experience. Um, but it's a cutthroat world. It's a dog eat dog world. It's you know hyper competitive because software and coding and, and things like that are becoming a little more ubiquitous and a little more commoditized. So how do mm-hmm. you stand out in the world? It's it's super interesting to to not only learn a whole new language and learn a whole new uh, you know side of, of an industry and world, but also it changes every freaking day and every every few weeks and every every month. There's a new competitor, a new thing you got to learn, a new technology. So I'm sure as as you all are staying on top of this, uh, you know it, it changes every day. You can't master everything. The craziest yeah. stat
1: about Salt Lake City, uh, the percentage of graduates that are a CS degree or computer science or developers uh, com- is higher than uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, so there's more people wow. graduating yeah. with uh computer science degree in, in Utah than in uh, Silicon Valley. I heard that just not even, a couple days ago.
3: I say it doesn't even... And that's an amazing stat, and I believe it just from what I've seen. But like, it's also there's all these like coding schools, and um, I'm sure you know you all have seen some of those out there, uh, like Lambda School that's out there. A lot of these opportunities that don't even count as CS degrees, but people are you know still getting these these uh, certifications and, and education and, and you know building the into the tech community because that's just where the future is, and that's where. A ridiculous amount of money <laughs> is uh is being thrown around i think um gosh well there's one company in utah that i think they just got bought by bill.com for like 2.5 billion oh
2: um, uh divvy payments right yeah
3: divvy yeah big big silicon slopes early adopter grown over the last few years and now they yeah they just got purchased for <laughs> freaking two two and a half billion dollars so it's like probably a company most people haven't heard of outside of uh our world in Utah, so
0: that's those are the
2: Utah. kind of things that an ecosystem needs though to then mm-hmm. turn around you know that capital is there now, turn around and reinvest it into the community that's how you mm-hmm. continue to to scale it. Uh, we kind of buried the lead here though. Tell us a little bit more about Pickle and how it went from an idea to you guys were in Y Combinator this year
3: yeah no i I still can't believe where we're at, um, yeah. considering we're only thirteen months old and. Mm -hmm. We were shocked we even got into YC uh, (laughs) because we didn't feel that confident. Um, But Pickle itself, uh, for the listeners, we're in the conversation intelligence space. It's really only five, six years old at most, um, but there are a few few bigger players. There's no Amazon, Walmarts, anything like that here yet, but it's getting there. Um, But what we do is take... So the, the the essential B2B sales training or, or customer support training, you always hear the this call may be monitored or recorded for training purposes. You hear that every time you call in somewhere, but there's billions and billions of minutes of call recordings that it's like, do you really actually use those for training or or, or really dissecting what's going on in a call? And it's this concept of most companies went either no, those recordings sit on a server and just live there, or sit up in the cloud, and that's it. They disappear, or B, you've got a manager that, you know, will probably listen to one or two percent of calls at most, or have a rep give them a, a call recording that they look great on. You know, not you know, kind of picking what they what they want to do with it. But what we are trying to do is take the almost this black box that is voice, and you know, take the recording, transcribe it. And then from there, layer on natural language processing, machine learning to pull out insights, or more realistically, competitor mentions, objections that are coming up uh, when you're talking to customers, or reasons they won't buy. Here's great examples of how how you overcame this, or talked about this product, or here's maybe a way you can improve. Um, we're really taking hundreds of thousands of calls from you know a ton of different companies and processing those and putting them in a in a readable way, which is essentially where one of the portions of where the name came from, Pickle, um, is this process in machine learning or natural language processing that takes what the language computers read, which is ones and zeros, and converts that to language we read, which is the alphabet. And in that process, there's something created called a Pickle file. And that that's derived where our name came from, as well as kind of the innocuous dumb memorable name that is pickles (laughs) (laughs) um so that's that's kind of where we're where we're getting started but uh the ultimate goal is we want to just make a a really awful terrible sluggish process that is reviewing calls or reviewing call recordings and making it fun engaging easy to access and really easy to understand the voice of your customers what are they actually talking about what do they care about Um, what do they want how do you delight them um, and putting that, implementing that throughout the process from cold call to deal close to how do we get you to want to uh, resign for the next year um, and, and really putting the customer's voice at the,
0: at, at the seat of the table there.
1: Makes sense. All right. So talk about like a, an exact example um, that you've come across maybe in, in your role that you get value from that. So in, in my perspective, we were talking about this before we got on the call. You mm-hmm. know, as a salesperson, you want the other person talking the most on the call. Like you, as a salesperson, want to talk probably 20 to 30%, 40%. And then the rest of the time you want them talking. So are you getting those yeah. kind of insights where you understand, okay, my sales rep is talking this much. They're talking uh, this percentage. And by the way, here's the questions my sales rep asked. So talking yeah. about the actual, like, those are the kind of things you're pulling from. Yeah. No, great question.
3: Essentially. Yeah. We want to build a product that. Myself, I want to use, right? I want to log in every day and and get in my Pickle account because the moment I see it as, why do I even need to log in? We're in trouble (laughs) Um, because if I don't find value as a sales rep, what are we doing? So for me, the way I process and, and really the focus that we're trying to steer the company in the direction of is how do we really empower somebody like myself or somebody that's on the phone with customers all day how do we make sure this is a tool that really helps them, really empowers them, really makes them enjoy logging in and, and having an experience around, hey, I want to get better or I want to improve or what, what the heck did I ask that, that that I meant to follow up on two weeks ago because my call is coming up in 10 minutes and I need to figure out what the hell I was talking about. Um, those are the things that when I need to hop in and really understand, that's what I find value in. And, and I think, Evan, what you're talking about is the questions one one of the bigger values that i find is pulling out exact questions that i asked what they asked and isolating those but alongside the transcript and the video itself say we're on a zoom call i can see all right here's a question where i you know teed up some kind of pricing discussion or you know a real pain that they kind of alluded to but i wanted to dig deeper on i can click that and it jumps all the, you know straight down to the portion of the transcript of what's the context around that question? What, how did they react? How did I engage? Um, you know, what did I follow up with? And from there, I can really understand. You know, how do I improve? Did I pull enough out of this conversation? What do I need to follow up on if I didn't, or if I did? What do I need to really harp in on? What piece of content can I send them, or you know, something to to loop in the the next you know buyer type that I need to to have um, in this conversation? So for us, it's just isolating those questions making sure you're only focused on the conversation, not the chicken scratch notes I'm taking. Um, cause I also, I'm an over note taker. I, I write in cursive cause I never forgot how to do that in third grade. Um, <laughs> and I, I sit here and I scribble notes. And for me, what I end up doing is I'll hear one point, I'll write that down and then I miss the very next thing they said. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I want to be present. I want to be focused on a conversation. I don't want to worry about, oh, let me make sure I take that note or, or mark that next step down on my uh, some sticky note CRM um, when I'm in the middle of a call. Just want to be present, have a human interaction, have a good conversation, and from there, it's you know it pays dividends over time when you're having real relationship building conversations over transactional sales. I'm waiting for you to reply in this way so I can take this note and follow up on this thing. That's uh, not what I'm. It's not what what I got into sales for. It's not what I got into to this world for. I'm trying to build a build a relationship, and we're just trying to make that easier.
1: Yeah. Last question here about the product. Um, A lot of these conversations are happening, I'm guessing outside of the, your user experience. They're happening in Zoom. They're happening in dialers and Salesforce. They're happening in Mm -hmm. dialers and HubSpot and some of these other platforms. Talk about what the actual end user experience looks like and how you're integrating with these services.
3: So for us, biggest integration is the Zoom. Most of our users are on Zoom. They live out of Zoom, having a ton of conversations there. We've got integrations with HubSpot, Salesforce some of the big players in terms of pushing data. Um, and that's something that, you know, in the future we'll, we'll try to make that a little more robust, but really as a, an early startup in our, in our uh, industry, it's either you integrate with everybody or you master one or two of them and, and really nail them. Because if you're integrate with everybody in the dog, you're, you're kind of a master of none, uh, unless you just hire a, an army of dev engineers, which is just not, uh, not realistic for us. So the, the integrations we do have, yes, zoom, um, Salesforce, we are building one with Zapier, Zapier, whatever your, uh, mm-hmm. whatever way you want to phrase it. Uh, but that'll connect you with everything else that, that you find, whether it's to push it to Slack or push it to Airtable or you know anything like that, we're able to connect through there. But um, as far as the, the data flow itself, it's pulling in the calls from Zoom. The, the Pickle platform itself is almost, I consider it or equate it to a, a conversation inbox. So I can go in and see, all right, here's the nine calls I have coming up today or here's the nine calls I had yesterday or or today that I want to review. Here's those tasks that pop up really quickly that I can understand. All right, here's the things I need to do. Here's what I need to follow up on. Here's those notes I took. Um, if I want to dive into the call, I can see it in there. And then some things are pushed into Salesforce, like call summaries or, or links to the actual conversation that they can click into to, to really get the context behind it. But, uh, we're really, really focused on the Zoom integration and making that as strong as possible.
2: Makes sense. That's that's where everybody is right now. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about YC. You guys were in there. This yeah was it, is it the winter class or spring class? How, how did that come about? 21, yeah. Winter twenty one. They do two a year now, right?
3: Yeah, winter and summer. Winter um, and summer. So for us, I mean, Birch, come on, we'll talk about it till they're blue in the face, and I. <laughs> it's funny, this is uh. this will be something I, I, again, I didn't know really what YC was until March. Um. So I wouldn't like some, some passion of mine to get into YC, but yeah, hearing from them, it's a, it's a ginormous deal. And the more I got involved in it, the more I looked at the companies in their, you know, as in their alumni network and portfolio, I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome if we got in there. But again, we were a bootstrapped company, a few customers at the time, you know, some, some uh, revenue positive cash flow, but really it all goes back the business and, and that's yeah. it. And we, we just had an MVP, super dirty MVP, um, minimum viable product for everybody else out there. But the tool itself was just not as advanced far along as we wanted. And uh, we basically put a ton of resources and effort into really trying to fix a problem or stand out that really wasn't addressed in a super hot market that is conversation intelligence. And with basically our application to YC, if I don't know if you've discussed this on your your program before, but uh, the it's a very intense but brief process. It's you basically have this really simple application in the sense of they ask you describe your company in one sentence. So that sounds simple, right? But when you're addicted to your startup and you're in love with your the the ideas you're you're trying to put together. Nothing's harder than trying to simplify what you're trying to the the world changing technology you're building into one. Going through that right now.
1: It's so hard.
3: There you go. It's super, super hard to do that. So it's that concept of they they really try to break you down in that that application process. And we spent probably a solid few weeks on this, this application and rewriting it, trying to figure out all right, how do we you know really stand out? How do we get this interview Because how it works is you submit this application, you get a 10-minute interview, and based on that 10-minute interview, they say yes or no. That's it. So, and the other thing we, this is the second time, yeah, really first full full remote YC batch they've ever had where pretty much every other time, it's three months in Silicon Valley, San Francisco, where... You know, you're living amongst a bunch of other founders You're, you know, they give you a 125K uh, to basically go towards living expenses for three months because you're in one of the most expensive places in the world um, <laughs> and just focus solely on your product for for three months and your plan. But with COVID, that wasn't a reality. So it went virtual. Now, that's where it ties into that super simple interview process. Also, it just got opened up to the entire world. <laughs> Yeah. Whereas before it's not realistic for say an Indian startup or some startup in Africa to fly to San Francisco for three, three months and, and live off of you know the 125 K uh, say you've got, you know, a couple founders, three or four founders trying to do that. It's tough to do that tough to be realistic, but it, it, it really just like everything in the remote world leveled the playing field. There's more applications I think than ever. Um, so again, it was just, one of those processes that were nerve wracking of like, how are we going to get over this? But I still, we still really haven't figured out what the game changer was or what they really see in us. Other than the fact that (laughs) the approach that we're taking in this super, super crowded industry is different than, than what's been done. So a lot of it is focused on coaching um, this aspect of micromanaging, even, um, you know, almost big brother reviewing all your calls. Whereas for us, it's how do we, Make sure the end user can use this tool or make this almost a true productivity tool that's tied to all of your conversations, not how do we make this a call review tool? So it's, mm-hmm. it's those, those different aspects that really, I guess, jumped off the page, so to speak, um, as well as a few um, references with uh, some other startups that we were working with at the time that just wrapped up with YC that, that kind of pushed us over the edge and, and got us into the program.
0: Yeah. Give us an idea of what the program is actually like. Like, what are you guys doing on the day to day? What are they trying to teach you and, and help you out with? And then kind of lead that into how that's uh, changed your company or helped your company uh, post pitch day.
3: Yeah. So, again, alluding on normally it's in person. It's in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You live in this almost like communal startup society that you're just closed off to the world for three months and just building with them, you know, talking with partners, you know, almost like a summer camp, if you will. Um, and with us being totally remote, it's it, it was kind of a different atmosphere from probably what it normally is. But what we experienced was, you know, you had a, a say, like a Monday large group session where it's every, every, every uh, company in the cohort would turn on their Zoom, jump in into the into the large session. And essentially you get a, you know, somebody like the Airbnb founders to to talk to you and do kind of a, you know, here's what we went through. Here's where we were in your shoes. Here's how we pivoted or changed or whatever. Um, and really got to it was kind of cool to have that access to, um, you know, Airbnb or DoorDash founders, the, the founder of Twitch, having those kind of you know, intimate conversations and you know, just really hearing their story was inspiring. But you also had small groups, so more of the cohort based around um, you know the, the, the industry you're in or the problem you're trying to solve or the people you're selling to. Um, they, they really wanted to make that work. And then you also had office hours with partners of, of YC, which are you know the, the investors/ slash, you know people that have done something or made something or created something. And the motto of IC is build something people want or build something people love. Um, And it's, you know, these are the people that have exited companies or have built um, followings or, you know, really those thought leaders that we had access to, which is really awesome. Um, And one of the best pieces of advice that changed uh, changed our company direction, we were looking to hire, at the time, it was, you know, just three of us, myself, Come On and Birch, and, you know, we had a solid customer base, but we got to this, you know, really critical mass of we can't handle the customers are having on board. Um, we need to focus on sales, keep bringing in, but have somebody that comes in for a customer success role and really works and, and really creates those relationships with the, the customers post sale and making the experience, you know, as, as as awesome as we can. That was our plan. And we explained that to one of the partners and they're like, we like the idea, but you're doing it the wrong way. And we're like, what does that mean? They're like, you don't focus on the sales. You focus on your customers. You're going to learn a million more things talking to your customers and being in, in deep with them as as the CS reps. And then you go hire go hire sales reps to, to go talk about your product and bring new people on. But it, it's just like, all we did was explain what we were trying to do. And in one sentence, they're like, I'll just flip it and you've got it. And that, that changed a lot for us mindset wise and this concept of, you know, what we, the route we were going down, which is like, oh, we just want to go get more revenue, bring out more people. But it's like, no, we sh- we should be focused on the customers. What do they love? What do they hate? What do they want to fix? You know, what, what, what are the processes they go through from login to, to aha moment, um, isolating those things and, and replicating them. And then from there adding to the sales team. So small stuff like that, we we took a lot out of it. And then post like demo day, which for those that aren't familiar, is the, co- the culmination of Y Combinator after three months. Basically, I think they, it was about a network of about 2,000 VCs that are on this private pitch call. And we had, I think, 300 companies in our cohort, maybe a little less, um, which is the biggest one ever because, again, it was remote. Um, but you had pretty much t- a whole day. It's called Demo Day. And each company had one minute to pitch their their entire <laughs> wow. existence of what what the problem they solve, who they're solving it for, what traction they have, explain that in 1 minute to 2000 investors Jeez. and they have this they have this like button um, protocol where you, basically an investor can click like if they want to meet and discuss more. <laughs> so it's this weird like, you know, gladiator Roman Colosseum situation of uh, you know, <laughs> do you like my company? Cause if you don't, I'm, I'm going to be crushed. You know, soul crushed here. Because I have a minute to explain what I'm doing. Um, but you know, you could also knock it out of the park. You could say you have like, you know, a couple hundred meetings set up after one minute of work. <laughs> so that that's kind of what, uh, what it led to. And we met with you know, a ton of VCs after that, um, to, to raise our seed round and that's kind of where we're at now, clo- wrapping that up and, uh, and looking to pour some more fuel on the fire.
0: Yeah. I'm curious to get your perspective on working remotely for a tech company. So this is something that, you know, here at Middle Tech, we've been talking about. This could be a potential strength for Kentucky. You know, we've mm-hmm. got low cost of living, we've got beautiful places to live, all of that sort of thing. And then you can still work for a big tech company, like for example, out in Salt Lake City. So maybe mm-hmm. this is best uh, described as more of a pros and cons list, but give us your perspective on working for a tech company while living in Kentucky. Yeah. It was kind of the, I mean, it was forced, right? It was necessary
3: in March um, to Mm -hmm. to just make this work. And I think that was a big, that was a big help uh, when it's like we don't really have an option. So you just got to figure it out. Um, But as we've grown and progressed, and I've learned, you know, what works, what doesn't. I mean, one, make sure you've got a dedicated office space and a couple of monitors. uh, Because I was working at first in a basement with a tiny little desk. One uh, on one laptop, and it's just it's not feasible for uh, if you don't see sunlight and have to stare at one screen all day. Well, um, once you
1: get uh, once you start using two monitors or three monitors, though, there's no turning back. No way. No, no
3: I'm on uh, I'm on two monitors and a laptop, so technically three screens. <laughs> that's what, that's what like, I'm. That's I don't what I'm, know what I did before this. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I I will say I, I leveled up on I saw the value of having a you know a hell of an office here at home. Uh, to stay productive, stay engaged. One of the we- interesting investments we made early on, with, like to keep me present in the office when I needed to be, instead of you know scheduling Zoom meetings or you know dedicated calls that I'm sitting in front of their computer or on their computer and not letting you know the the other guys work. We had we invested in a it's almost this, this medical grade ipad roller stand <laughs> no way i've seen those
2: at the hospital
3: <laughs> yeah so i have one of those that my i have an ipad that rests on there and i you know i've got a macbook and i'll press you know facetime and i'll facetime in. And, and if i you know say i have a, a light day on calls i'll just hang out in the office on the ipad as long as the uh the battery lasts but it is kind of cool you know like i'm engaging i'm you yeah. know uh, laughing on whatever jokes going around or you know, having a thoughtful conversation, you know, spontaneously, whereas before mm-hmm. you'd probably have to schedule that. <laughs>
2: yeah. And, can you uh, move the little thing around like through the office?
3: I can't move it. Unfortunately, <laughs> didn't invest in the, the, the one that I could just say, like, yeah, you know, annoy everybody and poke yeah. into their office, but they can roll me around to where I need to go, which is good and bad because they'll sometimes roll me in a corner if they, you know, yeah. if I'm being <laughs> annoying or something and uh, you know, or roll me to a, an office and I'll just kind of be hanging out there with, uh, with Kalmano while we're jamming along to whatever reggae song he has on. Um, that's a, just real <laughs> quick. It's, that's, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's, that's interesting. Just the, uh, what you said there, because it sounds like what essentially that's accomplishing for you is allowing you to take part in the culture, which is a lot yeah. of what's mm-hmm. lost. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you've probably gotten to hang out with, with the company now at this point, but do you feel like you're still getting to partake in the culture of the company or do you feel like that's still something that is almost inevitable that you're going to miss out on to some extent? It's inevitable. You're going to miss out especially as we grow. Like
3: I can mm-hmm. see us bringing on three or four employees that I don't meet in person for, you know, 6-7 weeks after they start. Uh which at that point, you know, once you're a couple months into your role, you you're, you kind of know what you're doing. It's less less you know, of a, of a meet and greet, more of a, Oh, Hey, I've been here. Who are you? Um, so that, that's where the iPad, at least for me is going to be important of like just being active, can talk to somebody if I need to, they can laugh about me being on a fucking you know, a screen, but, <laughs> um, but as awkward as it is, as weird as it is, like that, that is a huge part of staying involved, staying in touch. Cause I, I, I can't see it being as feasible of a culture that we've built without me having that access It's great while they're there, you know, they're all in office and having a good time. But for me, yeah, that would be tough to isolate Um, what I'm doing to just, hey, maybe I'll get 30 minutes, uh, you know, at some point today to talk to one of them, Um, whereas now I can just interrupt whenever I need to. But there's all kinds of, I know there's a lot of startups that are based off of that need. They have like different, basically everybody has different rooms open at all times or, if you are remote and say everybody's, you know, it's a fully remote company, you can hop to people's different monitors and, you know, pretty quickly have a chat Mm -hmm. and hop out. So there's been some interesting solutions there, but culture wise, it's massive in the startup world. Um, There's gonna be some you miss out on. One big thing is like, when they order a fricking lunch into the office, I'm like, well shit, you know, I gotta go eat (laughs) a sandwich sandwich and watch them (laughs) eat (laughs) Chick-fil-A. And that sucks, you know, so that's, that's been a drawback that uh, they'll throw a nugget at the screen and, <laughs> and it's just like, oh man. But, uh, but other than that, we we figured out a made awake of work, but uh, yeah. I can see that being a challenge for sure. As we grow.
2: Do you guys see yourselves hiring more people remote or because you are so focused on culture, is it going to be just you basically who happens to be out in Kentucky?
3: I think early on, First 10 employees define your first 100, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so early on, we, we want to make an emphasis on having as many people in Salt Lake as possible. But realistically, we're, we're now limiting ourselves to a very localized talent pool when everybody else is opening the world up to fully remote work. So it's like, why would we, why would we stifle that? So we're, we're absolutely open to the right person being a remote. Not saying that I am. I just happen to be the guy that answered the call <laughs> two weeks after the company started. So uh, so I kind of got grandfathered in, so to speak. But we're, we're definitely open to remote positions, having more people that, you know, heck, maybe we'll build a, a pickle HQ2 in Louisville because we've got <laughs> quite a Louisville connection here. So um, that's the kind of stuff that, that we're looking at in the future, but always
1: open to remote. Yeah, that needs to happen. That uh, That'd be sick. But I think uh, we need to have more discussions like this about remote work because, you know, like Logan was saying earlier, I think Kentucky's in a prime position to attract more Mm -hmm. people to work remotely. And I think that it's an important topic because that's where a lot of things are heading. I personally believe we're going to go through this big movement of, uh, oh, remote work's the best thing ever. And then it'll kind of get, you know, pulled back a little bit. Uh, That's my opinion. Uh, I think, you know, Google and some of these companies that are trailblazing um, can afford to because they've reached a certain scale. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you're starting to, uh, if you're starting a company or you're a medium-sized company and like that culture matters, I think you're going to start to see that remote attitude get pulled back a little bit. And I think it's an important topic when you discuss more here in Kentucky.
3: I think it too is, uh, and you'll see LinkedIn polls all the time. Or at least a few months ago, it's like fully remote, hybrid yeah. remote, or you know, fully back. like no, this. If almost, you want
2: fully remote, give it a
3: almost a question yeah. mark. <laughs> Which, you know, as annoying as those are, I mean, it is a fair question of like most people say hybrid. I think it was like some substantial, like 70 percent, 80 percent. I don't know what it was, but I would prefer a hybrid model. So it's like two days in the office, two days remote. We've got I mean, hell, my situation, I'm I'm technically in the office every six weeks for about a week because uh, I made it a point to fly out there and be present early on um, a couple of months in just to be, you know, have that have that have that feel and know what know what it know what it's like out there but not all the time do people have that that privilege to fly out to their company and and spend a week there so that that's something that I've I can see the benefit of the hybrid even though my hybrid's a little insane. Every six weeks, I'm in the office for like ten days. You know.
0: <laughs> I think my ideal setup is hybrid, and I like if I'm going to be hybrid, I don't want to be working out of, at home. I would want to be traveling. Like I want to be. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm going to be in Austin for this week, and then I'm going to be back in the office, and then here in a, a couple of weeks, I'm going to go and visit San Francisco. Like that's my ideal work life. Always having the screens with yeah. you, bro. <laughs> that's true. That's
2: we work membership. Get <laughs> <laughs> the iPads extra. that just... <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Be carrying around an extra suitcase full of two monitors at all times to pay the extra price. I think there's I I've been thinking about there's like there's an opportunity probably for like companies that that have the budget um and value culture that much, probably some kind of like concierge like travel uh service mm-hmm. where it's like they coordinate each other's travel as a team uh together. I think that'd be cool. Yeah. You know, if there if there are people willing to pay a premium That's for travel as part of their lifestyle, there's probably Damn. gonna be a service that helps companies do that. Um, as an outsourced uh, provider, just an idea, you know, in order yeah. to maintain culture for people that want to be nomadic, you know, I think that's that's a thing. And if somebody wants to steal that business idea, uh, I I'm say that's right the now.
3: next Kentucky
0: startup right there. Yeah. There we <laughs> go. Just, yeah. Could write that happen.
1: Yeah. I did a poll, you know, funny, we were making fun of polls earlier. I did a poll like four days ago on this exact topic. <laughs> <laughs>
2: sure, I your said, poll is an uh, actual poll, though. So.
1: Was an it's not
3: funny. Player. We we were purposely making fun of you. So <laughs> yeah. Was I was target. trying
1: to, I was trying to see, <laughs> see if you guys were doing that or not, but results came in about 90 votes, 61% said I want a hybrid just to throw that out yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, so I, I think we're all on the same page there.
0: Well, let's transition this conversation kind of back to technology. You know, I know that you got, you got started kind of doing the fraternity leadership roles and then got into corporate, but even before that, did you notice any sort of interest in your early days of around technology? I know for me, I liked taking apart VCRs, which now looking back, it just seemed like a cool thing to to do to kind of mess with tech. But <laughs> was there anything like that when, when you were growing up? Did you kind of have an interest in technology before getting involved in a tech startup? I would say early age,
3: not really. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I was a skater kid. I would say that the most technology I I had was like my electric guitar and playing with an amp. I didn't take that it apart, though, because it, uh, <laughs> it, it would be a pricey solution to put back together. Um, yeah, and my mom would kill me. But um, essentially, for me, it really came along. I know um, high school-wise, I mean, the advancements in what? You, oh, you had a video iPod. You know, stuff mm-hmm. like that was, like, dope to me. It's like I've got, you know, you go from having CDs, which I've got, like, still got my 200-some-odd CDs that I can't play um uh that are just sitting collecting dust but the uh the concept of like taking that and putting it in my pocket was mind-blowing because music just always kind of held that uh, uh you know a, a sensitive place to me and, and something i was always passionate about so like the technology technology advancement to make music more accessible yeah. itunes i was uh not gonna lie i don't know if uh this is incriminating any more statute of limitations but a lot of downloads you know on on Bearshare, LimeWire, whatever. Yeah, uh, LimeWire. Well, oh, we <laughs> all go. Oh, yeah, all, all the viruses that came with that. Hey, I want to uh, know who
1: owns the the rights to that brand, <laughs> like who, who owns that trademark now? Because like if you sell a T-shirt with LimeWire all over it, <laughs> oh, it as like that's a, a, a good shirt, that yeah, is like a nice that throwback, would sell the shit out of itself. I yes. infected the uh, the family desktop with
3: LimeWire <laughs>
2: for sure. I would that, say
3: who didn't. There's probably like a million yeah. towers sitting in a dump that uh you know that. <laughs> The thirteen-year-old versions of us just ruined, uh, yeah. constantly. I, would I had so many viruses. My
1: Wire logo on it, no question. I'd pay a penny for Dude, that, probably. Like, and knowing what I know
3: now, it's like, why how? I don't even click on like weird links and emails, but here I'm downloading content that I have no clue where this is going, straight <laughs> to my computer, and just opening it. And it's yeah. like, Good lord, the the amount of risk that was there. But to back, back to your point, Logan, the, the that's where I. That's where technology came into play for me was you know the advancement in the in in the accessibility of music was huge, and then from there, I mean, shit, like <laughs> like Birch, for instance, has a Tesla, and like I'll ride around in that, and every six weeks, there'll be some new update that he's showing me and I'm like <laughs> what what the what the hell is going on like? You're just getting native updates in your vehicle now like I, I still drive a fricking Honda Civic that uh, is not connected to the internet um in any way so it's like seeing where where i was wowed by a freaking iPod now where we have self-driving cars like i it's just mind-boggling and now i'm in this world of natural language understanding and processing and what's funny is like we'll talk about ai but that's just marketing material right now there's no not really many companies doing real ai mm. um a lot of it's just machine learning or, or natural language processing but even that's mind-blowing and we haven't even gotten to the point where machines are thinking for us uh, mm-hmm. and taking yeah. actions for us. And that's one, that's one big stand for Pickle is like, we want to be more of an augmented intelligence. Cause as a rep, we still want you to have autonomy <laughs> to make a choice yeah. or, you know, follow sure. up how you want, not have a machine do it for you. I I still right. don't see the value in that as a rep. You can't um, automate sales. There, there's not yeah. going to be the day
1: that an artificial <laughs> intelligence is going to- We're gonna gonna die on that hill, damn it. A like great we're we're going to be group. the only
0: people employed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Sell it, sell it to
0: robot buyers. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, to back to the the technology thing, I feel like our generation is the last generation that got to experience what it was like before technology kind of ate the entire world. Yeah. Like I can still remember a time before having, you know, all of your songs on a device that fits in your pocket. And I remember a time before video games and like Mm at least video games as we know them nowadays, I feel like it's almost an inherent trait of our generation to be very, very interested in technology, even if you Mm -hmm. might not realize how interested you are in technology, like whether your thing is video games or whether your thing is photography or videography, whatever it may be. If you're interested in any of those things, music in your case, you're interested in technology, like the ways that technology has completely changed every single thing about the way we interact with our world. I think it's pretty safe to say that everyone has an interest in technology to some extent. Absolutely. I I look at it as, yeah, we we got to see the
3: phenomenon happen, which is to your point, like the the concept of, I know what it was like. I know what, what it's transitioned to. Um, but even, even more importantly, in in my opinion, is like how fast it has evolved and has changed. And most people take that for granted that are younger than us or, you know, Mm -hmm. at this point people, I don't know how many, I think there's kids in college that were born in fricking 2000, uh, mid two thousands, which is insane to me. Um, we're heading into the 2010s of of birth years, but the, uh, there's just always known, you know, technology uh, to your point of like. Always connected, always on. It's going to be a weird social uh, experiment when we're in, you know, retirement homes. What our what our you know carpal tunnel is going to look like? Or, you know, the Zoom fatigue over the next thirty years. How that's going to you know probably cause a, a whole new wave of depression and things like that. But right. uh, on top of the horrors of technology, there's it's going to be insane to to think you know if we're already here and. 20, 25 years. Like where, where the heck is this? Is this going to take us in 50? I don't know. It's exciting to think about.
2: Just keep speeding up. Well, with that, with kind of the future technology and advancement of AI, where, where's Pickle headed? You know, how is that augmented intelligence going to change over the next few
3: years? And what are the goals of the company? Yeah. So I, we envision Pickle as, yeah, again, augmented intelligence. It's this concept of giving you the conversation you had, but never letting you like have anything slip through the cracks or like, Mm -hmm. Hey, what the hell was I talking about with Nate two weeks ago? Um, we were referencing this rock band song or something random. We want to have that almost searchable to where it's like, never, never forget what you were talking about or the conversations you were having. And yeah, there's a, (laughs) there's a lot of, uh, you know, concepts of, Oh God, I kind of want to forget some of the conversations I had, but, You know, it's this idea of we can probably scale this in a ton of different ways and even head into the consumer market, um, B2C, with a lot of this, you know, pairing it with some of those more note taking apps um, or productivity apps that don't have the conversations tied into them, um, seeing where that takes us and and really how you structure your day based around the conversations you're having. Now, right, right now we're limited to Zoom, but could we get that, you know, have that? Meld into written word, emails, texts, things like that, that, that you want to have all in one place. That's kind of the, the next place that I see us going. But, you know, it's a little ways away. Right now, we're just focused on helping sales teams and then, uh, then we'll hopefully sk- you know, scale from there and expand.
0: Absolutely. Well, we're excited to see you guys grow. We're excited to keep up with your guys' progress and definitely stay in touch with us. Um, but before we let you go here, give a plug to Pickle AI. Where can they find you guys? How can they get in touch? If anyone from the audience has uh, resonated with what you guys have been talking about and, and working on. Yeah, yeah. So you can find us at pickleai.com, not pickle.ai.
3: A lot of people type that in and <laughs> takes them to not, not the best looking website, but um, uh, pickleai.com. And then we live on LinkedIn, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm always on there. That's, that's where most of the people we interact with are on there. So follow us on LinkedIn, follow our story there. We do have Facebook, uh, don't <laughs> spend a lot of time there. And then uh, Twitter's kind of the next area. So at Pickle Smarts um, for, for each Facebook and Twitter, but really it's just Pickle AI on LinkedIn and then our website.